When we betray our spouse in a significant way, it's quite likely that she or he will experience betrayal trauma. When safety is shattered, the body and brain of your spouse become particularly sensitive to potential threats, and you may find him or her being easily triggered. This often looks like major reactions to minor problems. The tricky part to all this is that it is your betrayal that's created this, but now you're frustrated by what appears to be irrational behavior on your spouse's part. We want to unpack this dynamic today and help you know exactly how to respond in these situations so that you can help your spouse and your marriage move towards healing rather than causing more conflict. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a healing episode for you this week. This is episode number 239, and today we're going to be talking about how to respond to or work with your spouse's betrayal trauma so you don't add to it or make it worse, but rather help him or her to heal. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed male privilege in marriage. That's worth going back and checking out. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. That was a good discussion last week. Yeah, I felt very privileged to have it. (laughs) If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice, and most of all, we offer hope. So let's get into the topic of working with your spouse's betrayal trauma. Yeah, so we work with a lot of couples at Only You Forever who are healing from betrayal. One very common thing that we see, particularly as we begin working with couples in this situation, is that the betraying spouse is very... guilty spouse. Yeah, the betrayer, if you will, is very defensive. So in this episode, we really want to speak to the betraying spouse, the one who's betrayed their husband or their wife. Okay. And we're starting with defensiveness because it really perpetuates this problem. Mm -hmm. And that's like the natural response so often. Automatic response, yeah. Automatic, yeah. Yeah, natural too, I guess. So we need to talk about why defensiveness doesn't work. And at first glance, it seems to reflect very poorly on the betraying spouse that you would be defensive. But when you look more closely, what you almost always discover is that the defensiveness and minimization is often about trying to calm the raging fires of their betrayed spouse's emotions. They're trying to save the marriage by calming things down. Mm -hmm. And they think the best way to calm things down is to assure their spouse that it wasn't as bad as they think it is or not as bad as they're making it out to be. Mm. And that's a genuine but a very misguided effort. Yeah. Other times the defensiveness and minimization are due to an ongoing addiction. So it could be coming up for that reason mm-hmm. as well. Okay. And the betraying spouse is still in the addiction related to the betrayal and they've not been able to break through their own denial as a first step to recovery, right? That period of time is particularly hard on the betrayed spouse because they feel they must increase the volume or amp up the intensity of their mm-hmm. assault on the addiction in order to break through that denial in an attempt to get safety. Right. Which typically prompts more defensiveness. So then we're in this cycle. Yeah, it's really tough, right? Yeah. It's super distressing and it's really, really difficult for them. Okay. Now, there are three things that we want to dig into here as a way of changing your approach as the betraying spouse. And those three things are number one, admitting your guilt. Number two is demonstrating remorse. And number three, showing your willingness to make things right. We're going to unpack these here. Okay. Admitting guilt. We always do. 
unpacking Emmy, not admitting guilt. <laughs> One of the common defensive tactics we resort to when feeling blamed is to try to shame or to try to share the guilt around. Mm-hmm. So we might blame our betrayed spouse for not being there for us, you know, for not being sexually available for us and so on. So we, mm. the person who is actually responsible for the betrayal is like pointing the finger back, okay. saying, you know what, you were part of this too. Now, some of those things may actually be true and may have been factors that contributed to creating an environment in your marriage where you became more vulnerable to betrayal or where the marriage became vulnerable to betrayal. Yeah. However, and again, so I'm speaking to the person who has betrayed here, okay? When your spouse is in the first months following disclosure of the betrayal, their view of your marriage and yourself is far too shattered to begin to consider their own role in the mm-hmm. marriage and their own responsibility leading up to the betrayal and its disclosure. That time will come later. Now, you may find yourself tempted to try and share the guilt or to make yourself look less guilty in some way in order to save your marriage, or even as a way to try to protect your spouse from all the hurt that is coming from this betrayal. And again, that could be a very sincere attempt on your part. But in those moments, what's most important is that your spouse be able to return to a sense of safety. And if you're minimizing the offense, they can't get there. No, because they're thinking you're minimizing that. You could do that again then because you're not really owning it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when you don't fully admit your guilt, it prevents the restoration of that sense of safety. Okay. Because if you don't own the full reality and impact of what you did, then how can your spouse be sure that you're not going to repeat it? Mm -hmm. That's the issue, right? Okay. So your spouse needs the assurance that can only come from you fully owning all of the actions and the impact of the betrayal. And when you truly own your stuff and your contribution and what you've done, That sends the signal that you're facing the fire, so to speak, and that you see what you've done. You feel and you acknowledge the impact on him or her, and that will help your spouse begin to believe that you will be sincere in your efforts to ensure that that betrayal doesn't happen again. Okay. Because if you're minimizing it, it sounds like you're saying, oh, it wasn't really a big deal. So why wouldn't you repeat it if it's not a big deal? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Or it's like, I'm not getting the impact that it had on you. Yeah. And so because I don't think it hurt you that bad, I might just go do it again. Uh The problem is that you're overreacting. Uh That's how the defensiveness gets interpreted. Okay. So then, like, how do I know that you won't do it again? Okay. Not you, but you know what I mean? Well, that's the big question often at this stage, right? So being defensive or minimizing makes that question bigger. Being honest, facing the hard, ugly reality of the betrayal, owning it. Owning its impact helps to answer that question because when your betrayed spouse sees that you know and acknowledge how awful the betrayal was, it begins to reassure them that you'll be much less likely to repeat the offense. Okay. Like at some point in a subtle way, they're going to trust your goodness, even while they're complaining about your betrayal, Yeah. which is that if you really see how awful this was, you're not likely to do it again. I mean, okay. We have to assume that people will do that. So that's not a bad thing, though, to show them how awful it was, like to show how awful it hurt you. Right. But we're often trying to minimize that as the betrayer because we think if we minimize it, it's going to take you away from the pain of how bad it was. But you oh, actually need and to it's hear, the opposite. You need to hear us being willing to go with you towards how bad the pain was in order to know that we're seeing that and we're not going to do that to you again. Right. Makes sense? Yeah. But that's why you get the overreaction. It's like, well, he's not getting it. Yes. So I'm going to, as you said, I'm going to be louder and more. Yeah. I need him to see this pain. Yeah. So he won't do it to me again. Okay. And okay. defensiveness, minimizing is all saying, I don't, I'm not willing to see your pain. Okay. And so, you know, as part of this kind of a small sidebar here, like be careful too, like in these moments, you don't want to offer conditional apologies. Because we're talking about admitting our guilt in this section, right? So don't say things like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yes. 
Don't say, okay, if I was wrong, I apologize. If I was wrong. Yeah. Like, don't place limits on your apology or do things that make them seem shallow or seem even like blame shifting. It sends a signal that you're more interesting and more interested in protecting yourself, really your ego, mm-hmm. than you are in protecting your marriage or protecting your spouse from this happening again to your marriage. Okay. okay? That's yep. why those things aren't going to work. Okay. Yeah. So then admitting guilt is, it's really important to be clear about that. Okay. The next part is to demonstrate remorse. Now, researchers have identified that this can be the most powerful part of a genuine apology. It's the demonstration of remorse. Now, were you going to have something there, babe? Well, I was just thinking about this accepting blame part Mm. or admitting guilt. Like that goes so counter-cultural, right? Like if you're in an accident, you never admit your guilt, yeah. Because, you know, insurance might go 50-50 instead of you getting all the blame. Or, yeah. you know, with a lawyer, if you've been accused of something, you never admit your guilt. Like, yeah, in a legal situation. And so all of a sudden, this is making yourself very vulnerable. Right. Because this might be used against you. Like, I can see why it would be scary and why people would minimize it. Right. But it doesn't actually help the marriage relationship right. when that happens. Right, right. Okay, Sorry off my soapbox. Demonstrating remorse. What were you saying? Okay. So yeah, we need to demonstrate remorse. That's powerful for an effective apology. Yes. That's what we were saying. Yes. Now remorse is, and this is a quote from a researcher uh, study in 2005, remorse is the transgressor's distress over the effect of their misbehavior. Okay. So where admitting guilt and lowering defensiveness are really just cognitive or thinking strategies. Uh, That's about their behavior. Yep. Remorse is about using your emotions to understand the effect on your spouse. On the other person. On your betrayed spouse. Okay. So it's one thing to show your spouse that you understand why your betrayal was wrong. And it's another thing to understand how much that betrayal has hurt them Mm -hmm. and be willing to witness that and allow that to resonate in you. Remorse is the natural emotional response to an action that we regret. Okay. So you really have to allow yourself to see your spouse's pain and allow your heart to empathically engage with that pain and agree with the pain. Before the disclosure, when you were engaging in actions that you at some level likely knew were going to be a betrayal to your spouse, Uh the only way that you could do that in those moments was by disconnecting the attraction to the wrong behavior from the consequence of that behavior. So the the allure or what was drawing you, and you had to disconnect that from what it was going to do to your wife or your husband. Okay. When you become remorseful, you are reconnecting the betrayal to its consequence. Okay. Am I making sense here? Yeah. And as you can imagine, this sends a huge and a very critical safety signal to your spouse that you understand how your behaviors have impacted him or her. So the betrayer at this point probably has a lot of their own pain. Yeah. But it's so critical that they connect with their spouse's pain. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So sometimes, not all the time, but a lot of the time, we we do see the betraying spouse in these moments sometimes resorting to their own self-pity and sometimes even the betrayed spouse ends up having to comfort. Yeah. Yes. I've heard that. Yeah. Betrayer, right? But you, one key thing to avoid during this part of the process is to avoid playing the victim and taking the very emotional moments that they, these, this requires and making them all about you or even somewhat about you and then walling around in your own grief and self-pity. As the betrayer. As the betrayer. Yeah. It's not uncommon. And it may be an, it may also be a sincere attempt to alleviate some of your spouse's pain. Because it's like, you're not going to sit in your pain if you're having to deal with my pain, mm, right? Okay. But when you do this, you sidetrack the healing process. That's why it doesn't work. And I'm not saying that you don't need to heal as well, but if you are the betrayer and you make it about your sadness or your disappointment in yourself, then then you're asking your wounded and very hurt spouse to take care of you at a point where they can barely cope with caring for themselves. And it's not fair to your spouse. 
to do this. Uh huh. Um, so, as the spouse, like that's been betrayed. Yep. Do they need to say like, set like a boundary? set a boundary at that sure. point, or yeah, like because to me this is not okay. No, it's, they can be like, you know what? I can see that like you have some grief mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, like you got stuff to figure out with this too. It's hard for you, but you need to go figure that out with someone else because right now I just want to cut your head off with a knife, a dull one. Oh, honey. What? But this is often like they're in their rage. Oh, of okay. betrayal, right? And like you're crying and, and you want me to, like I can barely hold my own life together and I'm supposed to be helping you when you're the one who did this? Right, yes. Yeah. So that's okay at that point to be like, no, I'm not going to commiserate in your pain. I can't and I won't. Sorry. Okay, okay. Find a therapist, find a good friend. Okay. Find a church leader, go talk to them. Okay. It's not my problem. And that's that's not being unkind or unfair. That Nowhere in this process do I think it's helpful or necessary for the betrayed spouse to fix up the betrayer. Right. That's not something we ever see or as a, as clinically or That's or not a good recovery strategy. No, not necessary. Okay. Yeah. No. Don't put it on your betrayed spouse to take care of you if you're the betrayer, right? Yeah, that's not fair. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so once again we've created a bonus guide for our much appreciated supporters. If you're struggling to put together a meaningful apology as you walk with your spouse through his or her recovery from the betrayal and the betrayal trauma that comes with it, this guide will help you really detail out the meat and bones of that apology step-by-step in a thoughtful, detailed, non-cheesy, genuine way, right? And you can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Take a quick 60-second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we are talking about not playing the victim when demonstrating your remorse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next part for Linda is about making amends, being willing to make it right. I think this would be the hard part. Yeah. Now, yes, but this also gets spread out over time too. Like, So it's not... Um, Let's just go and see how it goes. Okay. Okay. So if you've taken the time to understand and acknowledge the impact of the betrayal, that's the guilt piece that we started with. And then you've demonstrated that you can emotionally connect with the consequence of the betrayal. That's the showing remorse part. Yeah. Now it's time to make it right. Now there's some hard truths in this. Okay. Nothing in life can be erased or taken back. Yeah. Life after a significant betrayal is not going to look the same as life before. Mm -hmm. And in reality, you probably don't want it to anyways. No. Well, that's what led to the betrayal. Yeah. And usually when you've shown genuine remorse and you've apologized to your spouse, and usually when you've shown genuine remorse and apologized, your spouse is going to be sort of very naturally, it's going to be looking for the next safety signal. And the question there that I, I see in one form or another is, do I see real lasting change in you? 
Mm-hmm. How do I know you've actually changed? Maybe is a, a better way to put that. That's your spouse actually looking for amends, changing your behavior, doing what you need to do to maintain that change, making things right that you didn't concern yourself with previously. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 So be be cautious during this phase not to make promises you can't keep. It may be tempting to promise the world to your spouse in an effort to please or to appease. But if you don't deliver you'll be adding to the betrayal. Like if you make promises oh, and you break like them, promise the world. And it's then more betrayal on top of your betrayal. Okay. So what you're committing to in this process should be something you want to do and are ready and, and determined to do. Sometimes, and again here, this is where you have to watch the defensiveness because I could see a person taking that and saying, well, no, I can't do that right now. I can't promise you that. And it's going to come across like defensiveness, right? Okay. But it's like, I can see that's really important to you and I'll try to figure out a way to make that happen. I just, right now, Maybe it's being honest to say, you know what, I need to get some help on that. Okay. Because I want to give it to you, but I'm not sure how I can. And I don't want to make a promise that I can't keep. That I'm going to break. Uh-huh. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, and so one of the most common fears then in this making it right or making amends phase is that I hear from a betrayed spouse is, you know what, he'll just improve for a few weeks until I lay off him and then he'll slide back into his old ways. Right. Right. Especially around addictions, but even around maintaining a constant interest and a connection with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of, sometimes folks hit a honeymoon stage after a betrayal where it's like all of a sudden he's given her all the attention and everything. Mm-hmm. And she's worried that if she stops like being in panic mode or this is a crisis mode, that he'll back off. Mm, and it'll go back to what it was anymore. before. Yes. Okay. So like you might go on weekly date nights for a while, but then life gets busy and you're going to let things slide, that kind of stuff. So what What we really need to see happening in this phase is consistency and commitment. Making it right involves keeping it right. Mm -hmm. And often this requires like a change in lifestyle, even a change in mentality towards a new way of relating to your betrayed spouse. So quite frequently what we see coming up for people here is they have to change their priorities as well, right? So a rebalancing of all the demands on your time so that your spouse sees that their importance and their significance is central to you. Okay. Like your your betrayed spouse wants to be at the center of your universe, not just another distant planet orbiting in your galaxy of priorities. Mm-hmm. So part of making it right and making amends is them actually seeing you make those shifts and seeing that translate into how you function in the world and how you function in the marriage. Okay. Yeah. So they're asking this question, right? Do I see real lasting change? Yeah. Going back to the promises, like don't yeah. make a promise you can't keep. But that, that doesn't mean don't make any promises. No, no. Because if you don't make any, like why would your spouse think that you're going to change? Yeah, yeah. So to be clear on that, what we're saying is you want to avoid the uh, yes, I'll promise you anything in order to get you off my back kind of approach right. or to calm you down kind of thing. Or even like... To make yourself feel better? I don't know. Like It's not yeah. necessarily because your spouse is going overboard. I don't think that they yeah. would make the promise. Or maybe that's yeah. why. Huh. So yeah, these are some of the things you can do to help when your spouse is in his or her betrayal trauma. Um, there's more things, obviously, and there's a, you know we go through this in detail with couples that are recovering from betrayals. Mm-hmm. But these are kind of some of the core things that we come back to pretty frequently. Yeah, that's good. Anything right. else you want to add? Or? No, I don't think so. You think these clarified? It just, it just actually... I don't know, pulled maybe a lot of things together in my head and made a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you to all of our patrons for your ongoing support. We appreciate the way that you help us to continue making our weekly show freely available to the world at large. We just passed 1.4 million downloads and our five-year anniversary since we first started the show. It's been quite a journey and we would not have been able to continue doing it without knowing that you are there for us month after month. 
So thank you. Yes, very much. Next week, Caleb. Next week, I'm still waiting to see the research, but I believe where we're going is we're going to talk about the same topic, but from the betrayed spouse's perspective. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that'll be really good. Well, that is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 239. Find out how you can help. Go to oif.support. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.